another round, another episode of Homesteads and Homeschools, the podcast. What's up? Today's episode number 30. That's right, three zero. Um, and of course, the show notes where uh, you, you can click the link to get to my guest's website and their podcast uh, will be at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash zero three zero. My guest today is uh, Miss Rachel Kennerly. She is the host of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. She talks about uh, cannabis and all its its medical uses and um, some legislation type stuff. And it's a uh, it's a pretty good little podcast. You you ought to go check it out if you um, are unaware of it. Rachel is a product of the public schools, the private schools, of parents that were involved in the the educational system. And um, we talked a bit about that and uh, how, how her and her husband arrived at the, uh, the decision to homeschool their, their son. And uh, it, it was a fun interview. I really I enjoyed talking to Rachel. Um, there is some, some bonus content that is available to the Patreon subscribers. And if you would like to get a hold of that, you can. Uh, Patreon.com slash Liberty Hippie. I think for as little as $250 a month, you can, uh, you can get access to, to some of that bonus content out there, as well as some stickers, um, maybe some seeds. And at higher levels, we have some merchandise available, t-shirts, things like that. And of course, you can always go to the Amazon link, uh, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon. Click that affiliate link and, uh, it costs you nothing, but, but I get a little, little kickback to, uh, to help offset some of the costs of keeping this, keeping this program running. Thanks to, uh, you know, the supporters that are out there on Patreon and, and those of you that have used the Amazon link and uh, are, are showing your support for, for the show that way. I, I really do appreciate it. You can also share the these episodes on, on social media. Give the page a like. Go go give it a review um, on iTunes or or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it now. Or even your, your podcatcher that you uh, you prefer. Leave a review there. and uh, that, that, that will help some things, believe it or not. So without further ado, let's go plant those seeds of liberty with Miss Rachel Kennedy. All right, so my guest today is Rachel Kennedy from the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. She is a homeschooling mom, and um, I wanted to bring her on today and get her her insight onto her her end of things. Um, I don't know. We're, I, I feel like I've talked to a lot of people from Texas, Rachel. So, welcome to the show. Um, another another Texan on uh, on the show. Well, thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, it is. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I've talked to at least four or five people at homeschool that end up being in Texas. Um, I don't know. It just must be a good, a good place for it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy here. So I think that helps. Yeah, are you from Texas? I was actually born in Southern Illinois. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> okay. All right. Keep that under wraps. That's right. But did you, uh, did you go to public school as a kid or? Uh, I went to public school when we lived in Illinois uh, my mom was a school teacher and my dad was a school teacher as well. And when we lived in Illinois, I went to, uh, we lived in a little town called Rosa Claire. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and then when we moved from Rosaclair, we moved actually down to Florida. My parents had both gotten an opportunity to teach at a private school down there in Florida. And we lived there for about a year. And then we moved to Oklahoma and lived there for about six months. And I went to public school there. And then when we moved from Oklahoma to Texas, my dad got a job at like a, I don't even think they do it anymore, but basically like for troubled youth, I guess he'd gotten a, stuff, okay. a job there to teach. And then my mom pro- found a job at a local private school. And then, so I finished fifth grade in public school and had like the meanest teacher, Miss Perry. I didn't like her. She was so mean. From then, from then on, I went, um, I went to the private school until I was in eighth, no, ninth grade. We went, I went to the private school from, I guess, sixth grade through ninth grade. And then I went to public high school. So you bounced around between public and private school then, I guess, yeah. quite a bit. All right. Did you, did you have one experience over the other that you preferred or was it kind of the same um, being public and private? You know, I liked the, the private school because it was small and I developed probably, I would say, deeper friendships there. You know, when there's only like, you know, six kids, eight kids in your class, it's hard not to be friends with all of them. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. I, I might... My classes weren't that small in high school. Um, you know, I graduated like 200 kids, but you still kind of knew everybody. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college, and I, even then it was like four or 500 kids. And some of these high schools um, that were around where I was, you know, you're graduating with like 1,000 kids, 1,000 plus kids. And public school is already difficult, building relationships between kids and teachers and the like. And when you have that many students in, in a class, it's just, I can't imagine how that facilitates anything healthy but yeah there were I think 400 some odd kids in the class our graduating class in the in the high school that we went to here in Texas I think at the time I guess I don't know if it was a 4a or a 5a school at the time but really the people I hung out with were people that I either went to private school well my husband and I we dated since we were in ninth grade so we we hung out together all the time and then I had some friends that I went to church with so I'd I've always had just kind of a small core group. I was never like a, a popular kid. That was never the goal of my life. I mean, I guess if I fell into it and I was popular, but. I, I, I hear that. I hear that. Um, so you, uh, I don't know, you, you didn't have any problems with public school, it seemed like, or, or private school. It seemed all right, decent enough. No, I, I really didn't. And I could have actually stayed at my, my private school that I was attending. It, I think they were willing to go up because the kids that were in the school some of them wanted to stay. And so they were willing to expand up past the ninth grade, but I felt like there would be more opportunities in the public school than there would have been at the private school. In hindsight, I don't know if that was really the truth, but that was my perception as a you know kid fixing to go into the 10th grade. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I've, I've seen that with some kids I, I know in the local area that are in that high school age and, you know, they're homeschooled and they, they have their little co-op that they visit and, you know, there's a handful of kids there, but there's always that draw to sort of the unknown, you know, what is this public school thing? And there's so many different faces to see and so many different little subcultures in there. And, you know, I, I, it, I can see it's a little, little sirens call out there, but. Well, and when I was in high school, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so I thought I would need more, more of a background in, in the sciences. And I didn't think that they were really equipped to, to, to give me those skills that I thought I would need. 
how long out of high school before you you have how many kids do you have just one just one okay that's what i thought so how, how far out of high school were you when when your son came around oh my husband and i were married i was a long way out of high school <laughs> um i guess when when skylar came into the picture then was that something you guys had you planned on homeschooling him or was that something that came later on after he had been around for a little while or how did that no, decision come to be no we were excited to to be able to have him in public school because we bought a house in a, in an area where had, where they had a good public school system. And so we were excited to put him in to public school just because it was, we have family that works in the school, in the, in the school where it is. So we were excited about that. And, and at the time we were fostering and we had three other children in our home. And then the year that Skylar went to kindergarten, cause we waited to his birthdays in August and we actually waited until he turned six to put him into school. Cause we wanted him to have one more year. Cause he really at five, he still needed a nap and, and we wanted him to have one more year of not having, because I didn't realize I remembered kindergarten from when I was a kid and we went half a day and we learned like our colors and our numbers and letters. And then when we, when we had this sibling group of three placed in our home as foster children, the oldest was in kindergarten and they were doing homework and they had like 200 sight words that they had to memorize. And I was shocked at all that we were expecting kindergartners to do. But I was like, you know what, I'm down for it. Scholar smart, you know, we'll just go with it. And so he started at public school in in that, that fall. And, and at that time, before he started school, I was having to take the kids to three different places. I was having to take them, take two of them to school, take Skylar to his daycare, and then take our other little one to another daycare because she couldn't get into the daycare that Skylar was at. So I was making three stops every morning before I went to work. So when he started in the fall, I was super excited because I could t- go and drop all the kids off in one place. And it was amazing until they, until the phone call started from the school district and they called me like within the first two weeks of school, the first two weeks, like three days in a row, that second week of school, I guess they gave him grace the first week, but they called me three days in a row related to his behavior because it's a big school. There's 25 kids in a class. And then there's, I don't know how many kids on that campus, you know, there's like, five or six of each grade level on that campus. And I think it goes pre-K through second or third grade. So we're talking about a lot of kids and he's in hindsight, I should have known better because he's very easily overstimulated, especially at that time in groups of large kids. And even still today he's matured a little, but they called me three days in a row and said, look, you know, I signed the paper. Y'all can spank him. This is back. <laughs> this was back before I, I, you know, not that I don't spank my child, but now that I know I don't really want strangers spanking my kid. Uh, I said, look, I signed the paper. Y'all discipline him however you feel need, you need to do it. And and they said, well, we're not doing that. We're doing restorative discipline where we talk to the kids about their bad choices. And I said, this is the third day in a row you called me. It's obviously not working. <laughs> so I went out that afternoon and found a private school that we could put him in and withdrew him from public school just it wasn't working for him he couldn't focus because of the stimulation yeah it's uh i think about what you said about you know when you were in kindergarten and that's that's what i remember kindergarten being um you know this half day and 
I mean, I don't remember doing homework or anything, but it was enjoyable and it was playing. And I worked, I, I, I went to school to be a teacher and ended up staying home with kids. And I subbed here and there um, when my wife was out on maternity leave. And, you know, I was in some elementary schools up in Vermont and they were still doing like half day program kind of, or it, I don't know if it was half day, it was shorter day. Anyway, but they, that was the thing, you know, they still, they did stuff, but there was more... I feel like there's more of a focus on like, let's learn how to play with each other. Let's learn how to have a good time. Let's, you know, and when my son went to kindergarten down here in Georgia and he, you know, he got a lot of that stuff, a lot of, you know, not so much homework, but sight words, like learning how to read all this stuff that wasn't, I didn't think it was necessarily kindergarten level. Um, and the sight words they're having them memorize are words like not and can words that could be sounded out not that I have to memorize them. And, you know, one of the kids that the other children that were in our home, he would just see words and he would guess, you know, instead of trying to sound them out, he would just guess as to what he thought that word was. Cause we're like, this is one of your sight words. And he would just take a guess. And it was nine times out of 10. It was wrong. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen that a lot. Um, our daughter um, will do that. She's, you know, learned sight words and, rather than sound them out, you know, it's that initial sound that's an S, so we guess. Um, and, and I think that's probably, some of that's probably normal, but to some degree, when you're just memorizing things like that, you're not understanding where they come from, you have to wonder, you know, is this is this really working? But, you know, it's something to think about, too, with all this, all the homework, all the, the drilling that our kids get in public schools today. You know, you, you'd think we'd be seeing leaps and bounds in, in how we compare to other countries and we don't. So obviously something's not working. So why, you know, and we keep putting kids in school longer and, and at a younger age and it's not working, but we keep, it's, just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, but, and then the, the amount of physical activity is very limited. Like when my son was in public school, he would get a 15 minute recess once a day. And so when we moved him to private school, they kind of had that same mindset where the kids just get 15 minutes of recess a day. And I'm like, look, you know, he needs more activity than 15 minutes a day. So I lobbied real hard for an afternoon recess, which you can't do that in public school because the teachers don't drive the schedule. The schedule is made by the higher ups. So at least with the private school, they had the flexibility and I was bullheaded enough to say, look, this is what my child needs. And I don't want to listen to you talk about his behaviors when you don't give him ample time to get his energy out. Yeah. And that's, and that's part, I mean, like our, our youngest one is, uh, he's pretty rambunctious. He's pretty crazy. And, and, you know, it, it may come down that like he has some ADD type stuff. Um, I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. But when like, so many little kids, they just, they have energy because they are energy. That's what they are. They need to go outside. They need to run around. They need to go to gym class and, and just be maniacs and run around. That's okay. You know, and when you just stifle them and, and put them in a classroom like that, it, it, it's tough on them and it's tough on the teacher and it's tough on everybody. When you try to force them to do something, they shouldn't be doing their bodies is just rebelling and saying, no, I want to get up and run, you know? Right. And then, you know, they just want to diagnose them with ADHD and medicate them instead of, and then complain about the childhood obesity rates. And it's like, well, you make them sit for, you know, six, eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so when did you decide to, um, that, that 
public school that private school wasn't uh, wasn't for you guys? Well, we did we did the public or the private school for we finished out that year with him, and then we started in the fall, and I'd actually gotten permission for our one of our other kids that were foster kids to attend the private school as well. So the boys started the next school year together. And then in November of that year, the, the, the siblings left and it was really hard for my son because those had been his siblings for two years. And it was, it was never our intention for them to leave, but it just circumstances beyond our control, you know, because they weren't our kids, they were the state's kids. So the state got to decide, you know, ultimately where they wound up. And so two years after they came into our home and two years of being brother and sister, they were gone. And it was, it was really hard for my son to to deal with that loss and that grief. And he'd already had other biological siblings that he had lost through um, because he came to us through adoption out of foster care. He had other siblings that were in other homes. So he'd already experienced a lot of loss. And then now he experiences this loss again in a more relevant manner, because, you know, when he was, he was removed from his biological home. He was only two. So he didn't really remember a lot of that, but they weren't as sympathetic. And you would think in a Christian school, a private Christian school with like, you know, 30 kids, uh, they weren't as sympathetic, I think to his loss in the, how that impacted him as I'd hoped that they would be. And then I also, I was on the board and I kind of got crossways with some of the other board members because they wanted to be very insular with the way they reached out to the public. They only wanted Christian people to attend this Christian school. And my philosophy was, it's like, look, if, if we're not training our kids well enough to go out and, and be in a Christian school and be able to defend what they believe against people who are non-believers, then we're not doing a very good job of educating our children in, in our beliefs so they wanted to be more insular. I thought the school should reach out to people with from other religious backgrounds, you know. Uh, Why not? Exactly, exactly. And so it was kind of a combination of both that, you know, he just had this grief he was trying to deal with. He wasn't getting the compassion. And then you just, you know, you can't let one kid be over coloring while everybody else is doing work, you know. I guess theoretically you can't, but I mean, yeah. anyway. So my mother-in-law had, offered to homeschool him for us. And it, it, when she first mentioned it a few months before that, I, was, I just kind of poo-pooed her and said, Oh, you know, we're happy where he's at. But then when, when this kind of came up, kind of this stuff came to a head, I was like, all right, are you serious about this? And so she, he finished out the school year with her and then he went and then they started uh, in the, in the fall. She's kept homeschooling him in the fall and just, you know, I don't know if dads feel this way, but I just felt this enormous sense of guilt that I was slipping off my responsibility as a parent onto my 60 some odd year old mother-in-law. So, I mean, we were very blessed that she was able to do that for us because not everybody's mother-in-law or child's grandmother is willing to do that. And, but it just, you know, the more we went, the the more I felt guilt at not being home with my son and, and being involved in his education like I thought I should be. Yeah, it's um, it's a tricky situation, that one there, you know, because it, it is, it's it's tough. It can be tough to, to keep a parent home, you know, depending on 
life's decisions that you've decided to make. You know, if you come out of college with, you know, $100,000, in debt, it's going to be very hard to, to keep one parent home. Um, you know, and you don't, when you're 18 years old taking that on, you're not thinking about, you know, am I going to want to stay home with my kid? Am I going to want to do these things? That's the furthest thing from your mind, at least for me anyway, it was, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking about anything like that. Um, well, and it's not like, I mean, even when I was in high school, four billion years ago. <laughs> I can remember one of the girls that was in our high school. And I think she might've even ended up being the valedictorian and her, her life goal was to be a stay at home mom. And I can remember myself and the other girls in our high school being so looking down our noses that someone would want to stay home with their children. What is wrong with her? Why is she bothering to work hard to be a valedictorian? If she's just going to stay home with her kids, <laughs> you know, why should you have any life goals whatsoever? If your end goal is to be a mom. And so if, if things were that bad, you know, Oh gosh, I can't remember. I guess 20, 92 is when I graduated. So I guess that's, you know, if things were that bad, I can't even imagine how much more pressure on young women there must be to you go to college, you get a degree and you work. And there's no mention of you staying at home. That's not even in the realm of possibility for most people. That's such an interesting thing to think about and to talk about when you consider the family, you know, and what's happened to it, you know, and no problem with women going to school or getting a degree or or getting a, a career, you know, but when you take both parents out of the home, that that that's huge that's huge you know and whether it's a father or mother or whoever um to have somebody home is a, is a big thing and when you're encouraging everyone just across the board to go to school to go to college um and then then you get out with your degree and and then what you know i'm, I'm gonna stay home with your kids my kids you know and and like you said with the valedictorian well what did you just go to college for you know, why, why, why are you such a loser that you, you can't get a job, you know? Um, and it's just, it's, it's an interesting, interesting aside. I don't, I don't, you know, I think everybody ought to have somebody try to stay home, but, uh, that's, that's me. <laughs> well, I, think, I remember cause my mom was a teacher and so she was home with us in the summer, you know, and she taught her private school. So she didn't have all the, you know, all the, other stuff that people in public school necessarily have to have all the activities where they're working, you know, so many hours a week in public education. So when we were home, she was home. And so I I remember our summers where we would just sleep late and chill at the house. And I always felt this tremendous sense of guilt because I would, my kids would still get up. My kids didn't really have a summer because I worked and they were in daycare And so they would, they didn't get to sleep in, in the summers, we would still have to get up early so that we could get them ready and get them to daycare so that I could go to work. And I always felt bad for them because they didn't get to experience summers the way I experienced summers as a kid. But in the profession that I was in accounting, it's not like you get summers off. So we made the, we made the decision in December of this year, I guess we made the decision earlier than that because we actually put our house on the market and sold it and made the decision to combine households with my mother-in-law. So we're all living together and we sold our house. So we've got like our little nest egg and I've got, you know, we've got a little money 
set aside for from the sale of that and got a lot of our debt paid down. And I've just been kind of working on building my practice. That's nice. That's nice. Do you know how much of the homeschooling do you do versus your mother-in-law at this point? Well, I kind of, I kind of took over, but it was really hard because we, I, I quit my job and then I started, you know, quit my job. We moved and I mean, just December and January were kind of a, a blur. And so I'll be real honest with you. I kind of stunk. <laughs> this this first uh, four months of homeschooling because then it also was at the same time as tax season. And so I'm trying to do tax returns. Now, I'm not working nearly the hours. I was still working one day a week for my old firm this past tax season. So I really didn't get to spend the time with Skylar that I really wanted to do, wanted with his schoolwork. And my mother-in-law still helped me out. But my goal for this fall is to, you know, I've already started kind of trying to get my lessons planned out and be a little more, a little more have my stuff together going into the, I mean, the wheels may fall off when we start, but we're going to start with great expectations. Yeah, you, you got to have good expert. You know, you, you have to, and the wheels will fall off. They always fall off. I, I've I've, not, I've never had the wheels not fall off. Um, it's just a matter of how long you keep them on for. Man, it, it, it's a trick because you always have days. You know, you always have good days and bad days. But so, are, are you are you using a curriculum then? Or are you trying to pull it from scratch? Or no, we're we're using. My mother in law found a, a curriculum, and it just start. And I'm not. I will say, I am not. I'm not drinking the water necessarily, but the. <laughs> But I think it's almost cultish the way some people are about their curriculum. And I'm not that way at all. I, you know, I, I guess since I kind of started my path to a more libertarian way of thinking, I am a little more skeptical. I don't always accept things at face value. I try to look a little deeper than the surface, not uh, than what I used to. I just kind of would accept a lot of things before. So I haven't drank the Kool-Aid, but I do like the curriculum. It's called classical conversations. So at his age, he does a lot of memory work, which is, he's really good at. They have songs that they sing and then they use active, you know, full body motions and stuff. So he memorizes a lot of stuff and it, it, and, and kids at his age, they don't really ask, well, why am I memorizing all this crap? You know, they just are little sponges and they soak it all up. So, so as they get older and move into other things, then they start, kind of taking those things that they've memorized when they're little and applying them and kind of expounding on them. And then as they get even older, they have the curriculum is it's very based in reason and logic. And I love that because I want, you know, and their whole philosophy of the curriculum theoretically is that we're teaching kids how to think, not what to think. And I really like that because even in my private education as a child, everything I learned was not really that much different than what I learned when I went to public school, as far as history, no economics, you know, none of that stuff was really different than the mainstream schools other than they taught us Bible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've never been to private school, but I, I imagine kind of be the same. Like, you know, the, the, cause I think the curriculum all kind of comes down from the same, place you know you have some leeway in the fact that you can teach a, a religion class um but you know i think you still kind of have to adhere to some of those some of those state mandated mandated guidelines that are that are out there um but so you, you like classical conversations then the old cc i 
I do. Like I said, I am not drinking the Kool-Aid, but I like the, and there's, you know, like some of the timeline stuff, you know, I'm like, yeah, no, that's not really accurate. You know, Abraham Lincoln is still wonderful. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> which is bad because I'm actually related to Abraham Lincoln and, and my son's middle name is Lincoln and the poor kid. Now he gets an earful every time he brings up Abraham Lincoln to him, to me, I feel really bad. You know, and I, if I could go back in time five years, I would change that. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a, um, a number of, a couple different CC groups around here. Um, and I know a handful of people that are, are involved. We haven't, taking that leap yet um yeah it's an interesting model you know harkens back to that that classical learning um you know so it's i think it has its merit um but you know again there's a lot of time for for the parent to still kind of get involved and and do something on the side you know it's not like a full time this is what you're doing every day it's you know kind of right yeah, we can get our work done within, if he's really focused and on task, we can get our work done within a couple of hours. And then he's got the afternoon. Now, n- next year will be a little more difficult because when they when they get in the fourth grade or fourth grade level, they introduce essentials, which is like a grammar program. So there's a, a little more work, but he was really excited. And he started it last year with my mother-in-law, but just you know, with all the chaos and the change, I just said, look, I can't do this and that. I can't do the foundations and the essentials and still work some. So we ended up dropping out of the essentials part, but I'm actually going to be one of the tutors in the fall. And he, he enjoyed it last, you know, like diagramming sentences, you know, in fourth grade, which I don't remember doing that in fourth grade, but it's not the approach they take. It's like they do three years in essentials. So, you know, we're not expecting them to have mastery of everything in three years because we're repeating everything for three years with the diagramming, the sentence structure, that sort of thing. So it's like, you know, they, if they just pick up a little bit bit of it here, well, we're going to see it again. So if they have mastery in first year, second and third year are going to be super boring. The, uh, the first time I diagrammed a sentence, I was getting my master's to teach English. Um, That was, that was the first. And I think it was only one class that I actually had to, diagram a sentence and everybody in the class was so we were so screwed up i think there were probably you know two kids out of 15 that knew what they were doing the rest of us are like what yeah you want us to do what you know like no clue but uh, yeah we used the, the school that i went to the private now i didn't learn it in public school i learned it in private school uh we learned that that we were in, they used the abeka curriculum and so that's one of the things they taught us and i think that was maybe in seventh or eighth grade that we did diagramming maybe it was earlier i'm old and i forget things oh man so d- um, i'm Curious, did you receive any any sort of pushback from like your folks when you or not not pushback, but you know, condescending looks from from family or, or parents that uh, you know your folks were both teachers, right. so no, my my mom and dad were both totally on board, and like I said, my mother in law actually homeschooled Skylar for a couple of years, but my mom, I always thought my mom would die at her desk as a teacher because my mom loved to teach. She taught when, when she was here in Texas, she taught like kindergarten and first grade. And then she went back and got her master's degree and, uh, and, and she, her degree, her original degree, I think was in special education. She went back and got a master's degree. So both my parents have degrees in special education. My dad was actually a diagnostician and my dad retired because he couldn't deal with the politics and, you know, 
my dad's just kind of a tell it like it is type person. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't play politics. He doesn't play nice. You know, when he thinks that it comes out of his mouth, he's not going to hold it back. And my mom, you know, she's more, not that my mom plays politics, but my mom's just got this bubbly personality and everybody loves Miss Watson. And she was, you know, and then she was able to kind of, kind of get her way with school because she'd been doing this for 40 years as a teacher. And so she was able to kind of get things done the way she wanted to get it done because of, you know, because of her educational background. Well, she got a new, I don't know, principal, vice principal, superintendent, something. And it got to where when my, when Miss Watson would say, well, no, we really need to do it this way. And they would say, no, we, we want you to do it this way. And she didn't like them telling her how to run her classroom. And I mean, she's the one that's been doing this for 40 some odd years. And, and a lot of these people that are in administration spend minimal time in the classroom before they get into administration. And so they're trying to tell someone who's done this for 40 years, how she should do her job. And, you know, and when it got to that, when it got to the point where, and she loves the kids. She, if, if she had, if it had just been about the kids, like I said, she would have died at her desk at school. But when the administration became where they were giving her pushback or telling her to do things that were illegal, you know, not follow the plan that these kids that were in special ed were given. She just finally said, Nope, I'm retiring. And that shocked the heck out of me. I really thought my mom would, would not retire until she died. Yeah. My mom went back to, back to school when I was, I think I was in middle school or high school, but uh, she went on to, to be a elementary special ed teacher. I mean, it was not too long ago. This was early, late, late 1990s, probably. Um, but yeah, you know, she, she really enjoyed it. And she had, in the beginning, it was, it was good. It was a lot of work, but it was, she enjoyed it. And as the years have progressed, um, you know, she just retired, I think, last year. But uh, that was it, you know. The, the kids got a little tougher, but they got a little tougher because the parents kind of checked out a little bit more. And the regulations and the administration coming down was nothing against young people doing things like that, you know, being higher up or whatever. But when you haven't put the work in as a teacher or you've been, you know, indoctrinated by all the programming that, you know, this is the common core is, is the best thing in the world. And this is what we got to do. And this is this is what's going to work. I don't know. I feel like people lack that ability to to listen or lack the the legality to listen to um, teachers that have been there that have seen it and have been through it and know what works. Um, you know, just because Washington says this is going to work for you doesn't mean that it's going to work in, in your demographic and your particular subculture of, of the world. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's tough on teachers, you know, it really is. And well, they were, you know, given kind of her, because she, she has seen, especially, you know, with her, her experience she's just seen how public education has devolved mm-hmm. to you know you're, they're basically glorified babysitters really a lot of teachers are they're given the formula that they have to follow and if you break outside that then you know you're reprimanded or you don't have a job and so my mom was very supportive of our decision to homeschool and still is very supportive. I mean, Skylar is a very bright boy. And like I said, we can finish our work in two or three hours and then he's got the rest of the day to do what he wants to do. 
Mm-hmm. So which that's we, nice. That's we have to we have to supplement that because he's a boy and he gets you know into trouble if he has too much free time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know what what was uh, what was the hardest part of of getting into take, taking that plunge. I think um, if if somebody was thinking about taking the plunge to pull their kids out of public school or private school, what would you what would you tell them? What would you suggest? I think to me that in Texas, anyway, it's really easy. I mean, when we took him out of the private school, we just said we're done and just walked away. And I, and I, hopefully there's nothing else I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because I haven't, I don't turn anything into the state. I know in some states, uh, my cousin, well, there's actually several people in my, on my husband's side of the family. And then now on my, my, my side of the family that have decided to homeschool their kids. So, you know, it's not uncommon in our, our family. And so that helps. But I know like my cousin who's in Arkansas, she has to turn in like information about her curriculum to her state. But in the state of Texas, as far as I know, we're not required to do any of that. Now, I, I think maybe we're required to have lesson plans. But, you know, hopefully nobody start comes banging in my door anytime soon. I know it's, it's a, it's a, I like homeschooling. That's the one thing that scares me about homeschooling. Um, knowing, knowing all your state laws, like we just have to, you know, send in a paper in the beginning of the year. It says, um, you know, I'm going to homeschool my kid or whatever. But then, you know, you look further into it and you're supposed to keep like a, a record, like make a, write a report card for the end of every year that, that you have on file for, and they can, require three three years at a time from you so you know um and then every three years you're you know we have to take a a standardized test um oh you also have to do standardized testing it's it's kind of like my my son just took it so he finished third grade he took it at the end of last year whatever like you get the scores i don't think the state sees the scores i think the parent sees us sees them um and it's like what's the point you know yeah, I mean, legally, I ha- he has to take this. He has to do this. And, you know, it doesn't matter what he does on it. He could scribble on it, I think, and it would probably be okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's why? Why do we make these kids do this? But uh, it was funny. He actually really enjoyed the taking of the test because um, mm-hmm. he, he got to go to like a, a, a friend of ours. She like tutors kind of does like a private school, you know, one room private school thing. Mm-hmm. And um he really enjoyed going there to actually sit down and take this test over the course of like three days. And I don't know if it was cause you know, he got a, a fancy lunch kind of thing or if he got, you know, just outside of the home, but it, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. If he's anything like my kid, if he gets to do anything away from home, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not mom and dad. I know we're just, we're just setting them up to like the simple things in life. You know, really, as soon as they get out of the house, it's there anything fancy, just outside of the house. We're good. So, all right, Rachel. Well, I, I thank you for coming on today. Um, any any last things about homeschooling you want to? You know, I, I think a lot of people are intimidated by homeschool because they think they have to know it all. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with learning alongside your child. Don't feel like you have to know everything in order to homeschool your kid. You can learn with them. I, we did. Um, we just we bought a new math curriculum because classical conversations didn't come with a math curriculum. We're using a, a Becca and my son, he's, he doesn't excel at math. He's really smart, but he's like got this mental block with math. And mm-hmm. I think he's got a bad taste in his mouth about math. And so we, we 
changed curriculums. And so we were doing kind of like a placement test with his new curriculum. And we were looking at some things and like, I have always struggled with the greater than and the less than sign. If I see two numbers together, I know which one is which, like, if yeah. it's, but if it's just floating out there all by itself, I have no idea. So that was one of the things that came up on his test. And he's like, I've never seen that before. So I'm like, well, you know what? We're going to learn this together because I don't remember. And I don't think there's anything wrong with humbling ourselves and telling our kids, I don't know how to do this. Let's learn it together. And, and I think that, I think that makes the child identify with you more if they know, okay, mom and dad don't know everything and we're, we're in this together. It's not just mom's the teacher and I'm this little bitty peon or dad, uh, you know, and I'm just this little peon who knows nothing and they know everything. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge. Right. I mean, knowing as a child, seeing an adult, seeing someone that, that you're looking up to not know something and figure out the answer. Like that's huge. You know, I mean, the, the biggest, I don't know, one of the biggest holdups, I think, to, to smart kids is, you know, thinking that you have to know everything, that it's not okay to not know something, you know, it, when you get in that mindset that I have to know, and if I don't know, I'm a failure, and it's, you know, the end of the line, that, that, that terminates so many things, so... Yeah, it is. Homeschooling allows you to do that for sure. <laughs> there are some things that, uh, you know, come across you like, oh boy, I, I got <laughs> to figure this one out. It's funny you mentioned the, the greater than less than though. I, I can tell you which number is which, and I can tell you which way the arrow or the little alligator mouth points, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Why does it matter? As long as I know which way it goes, you know? That's right. That's right. All right. So, Rachel, tell us, um, tell us where we can find you because you have, you have a, a different podcast out there, separate podcast. So what, give us a little bit of what that is and where we can go to, to listen in. Well, if they wanted to check out the podcast, it has absolutely nothing to do with homeschooling. Uh, it's actually has to do with the medical, the name of the podcast is Cannabis Heals Me. And kind of the, the impetus behind it is that there are a lot of medicinal benefits of cannabis that people don't know about. I myself, as a child of the 80s and growing up in the Just Say No era, I was not aware that there were medicinal properties to this plant and that there were, it was just all about getting high. And so there's still a lot of people out there that think that. And so what we've done is, is I go out and I find people who have used cannabis or marijuana medicinally. And we talk about, you know, what was life like, what has cannabis done for you? What was life like when you were on the prescription meds? What is life like now that you're using cannabis as your medicine or a cannabis as part of your medicine, replacing some of the prescription pills. So that's kind of the, the, that's what we do every Monday is we have a healing story. Somebody comes on and shares their story of healing with cannabis. And then on Thursdays, because I'm a libertarian and I don't want to just talk about cannabis all the time. We kind of talk about cannabis adjacent topics like uh, jury nullification. I'm hoping to get somebody on to talk about civil asset forfeiture in the future, you know, just topics that would affect people, you know, cause it's like if the, if the government's willing to lie to us about a plant, for 80 years. What else have we been misled about? And so we kind of talk about, like I said, cannabis related. Our, our topic today is with uh, Chris Calton. He came on to talk about the CIA and their kind of their involvement in drug running. And then also some of the experiments they did with LSD on unsuspecting American citizens. So that's kind of a little smattering, but the, the main purpose of the show is to tell people about, 
the cannabis plant and the medicinal properties. And then if I'm able to red pill people when they listen to my Thursday shows, all the better. Yeah. It's, it, uh, I, I do like the, um, I guess red pilling of it, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I like the two kind of together. It's more, uh, I don't know, whole, not, not whole. I don't know. It, it's a good show. I like it. Um, and when you, when you put the two next to each other, it does it, it works. They work well together. So, um, yeah, go check that out. Go check that. Out. And I will put all those sh- links in the in the show notes there. Um, so and then you find you on where. Oh, sorry. Can I'm I'm really bad at so I'm terrible. I'm the worst self promoter ever. You think after all these years of listening to Tom Woods and Jason Stapleton, I'd be a lot better self promotion, but I suck at it. Uh, so the website is cannabishealsme.com. Our our podcast is on all the major podcast apps and. Google, Stitcher, Apple, whatever it's called these days. And we have a uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash mjheelsme. And then Instagram is at cannabisheelsme. All right. We'll be in the show notes. Thanks again. Appreciate it. If you, if you liked listening to Rachel, if you want to hear more of what she has to say, um, especially on, on cannabis, go check out her podcast, uh, Cannabis Heals Me. And uh, you can find that at CannabisHealsMe.com. I'll put the links to that in the, the show notes. You can check those out there, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 030. Like I said at the top of the show, there are different ways you can support the podcast, either financially or just by sharing it, um, leaving a review on iTunes. Or you can even write me an email, homesteadsandhomeschools at gmail.com. Give me some feedback. What do you like? What do you not like? You got any ideas for guests, people that you'd like to see, topics you'd like to see covered on the show? Let me know. I got got some different ones coming up in the future here, hopefully. Uh, Just trying to pin down some dates, and we uh, should have some interesting stuff coming up here. Thanks to all you that uh, that do support the show, that do listen to the show, that... um, you know, have given me feedback. I, I really do appreciate all of that. And, uh, yeah. Get out there. Sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap sheaves of freedom together. I'm going to write us this dream.